millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Living History UK podcast, a podcast for the discerning and knowledge-hungry historians out there. You can support our podcast and get much more from Living History UK by joining our Patreon from just £1, and by doing so, you'll be a part of an ever-growing community and really help to make a difference as we strive to keep history alive. But for now, enjoy this podcast. The Vicissitudes of a Soldier's Life Chapter 5 By this time, I had recovered a deal of my strength, and therefore made use of this opportunity of viewing the ancient castle and works of this fortification. The barracks are capable of containing 3,000 men, with a sufficient quantity of provision and stores for a seven years' siege. In this place stands the celebrated Queen Anne's pocket piece, a cannon which, it is said, would carry a ball from Dover to Calais, 21 miles. Whether the statement be true or false, I cannot say, but this I know, that it is about 24 feet long and will carry a nine-pound ball. At present, it is in such a state that it cannot be fired. From the castle, we had a clear view into France, which is not more than 21 miles off, and from low water to low water, the distance is not more than 19 miles. Dover contains a population of from 16 to 18,000 inhabitants and is the constant resort of foreigners passing and repassing, to and from every part of the continent, but especially to and from France. About the 20th, an order came for our removal to the regimental depot at Brabourne Lee's Barracks. The first day we reached Folkestone, the second Hythe, and on the third, we arrived at the peaceful and healthy village of Brabourne Lee's, where we were heartily welcomed by the officers and soldiers of the depot. We were put into comfortable barracks, and in every respect well taken care of, for at this time we were looked upon as something more than those who had stayed at home. On the 25th, we celebrated the jubilee of the accession of George III, every man receiving half a crown in advance to help him to keep the festival. It was a day of great rejoicing with us, and while we amused ourselves in recounting the numerous incidents of the expedition to Flushing, I even began to think that my sufferings were over. 
But indeed, they had scarcely begun. For, on the 26th of October, I had a relapse of the disease. The ague attacked me every day. My appetite left me, and I lay four days in the barrack room, unable to partake of food, sometimes shaking with cold, and at others burning with fever and heat, without power to raise my head or to lift myself in my bed. On the evening of the fourth day, I was removed to the hospital of Brabourne Lees, where the sick of the 71st, 85th and 68th regiments were attended by medical officers. The doctor who attended our ward belonged to the Royal South Lincoln Militia. In this doleful place, I was confined by sickness for a considerable time. The sick men from Flushing continued to arrive until the hospital was crowded with patients belonging to the three regiments above mentioned. Death began to make its way amongst us. Three out of our ward were no more, and I was given up by all the medical men in the hospital, and for my own part, I certainly expected to have gone the way of all flesh. But, as the last resource, the doctor prescribed for me one pint of port wine per day, and at this time too, as luck would have it, my good friends at Louth sent me a small present in cash, which helped me greatly, so that I began to recover, and on the 20th quitted the hospital and joined the depot. I had not, however, been long there, before I was ordered to attend the funeral of one of our regiment as a bearer, and had to assist in carrying the corpse above a mile. And oh, how miserable were my reflections! No one to shed a tear of pity, or to heave a sigh over the poor dead man. I felt, but could not weep, because these things of this kind were so frequently taking place, especially at this fatal period, that I had learnt to look upon them with dry eyes. About this time, I applied to the commanding officer for a furlough, saying that my own country air might do me good, and, having obtained leave of absence for 42 days, and received my money, started on my way, but had no sooner reached Ashford than my old complaint, the ague, returned, and gave me a terrible shaking at the canteen of the barracks there. Having nothing but my old clothing on my person, I was ashamed to call at respectable houses for lodgings. I therefore, after my fit was over, proceeded to a small village two miles distant, and took up my quarters at the sign of the coach and horses, but continued to be very unwell during the night. The next morning, I took coach for London, but before we reached Maidstone, a severe fit of the gue beset me, whereupon a lady prevailed with the coachman to allow me to get inside, and, after I had taken my seat there, kindly offered me brandy. After passing another dreadful night, I next morning took a place, by mistake, in the Stilton instead of the Boston coach. This day, again the ague visited me, and gave me a desperate shaking during the journey but some gentlemen put me inside and behaved exceedingly well to me. They asked me several questions relative to the late expedition, and I found that one of them was a captain of a transport, having been engaged in carrying troops and stores to and from Flushing. He was remarkably kind to me. At one in the morning, we arrived at Stilton. The horses were immediately changed, and the coach started for Stamford. But in consequence of my mistake, I could proceed no further in this conveyance. The night was extremely cold and stormy, and I would gladly have laid myself down in a stable, but finding all the doors closed, I entered the Angel Inn Yard, and for want of a better berth, 
I opened the door of one of the chaises there. I stepped in, and, pulling up the windows, laid down in the body of the chaise, in which situation, packed and rolled up, though my limbs were, like a salmon in a kit, in not the most easy posture in the world. I slept well until eight o'clock, when I roused myself, and letting down the window, and popping my head out, inquired what o'clock it was. "'I will clock you, you rascal!' exclaimed one of the ostlers, looking very steadfastly at him. "'Yes, and I will make some of you smart for leaving me in the street, exposed in the rain and cold,' answered I, and immediately got out the chaise. My answer was in an unexpected tone, and none of the ostlers dared to say another word. I then repaired to the sign of the wheat sheaf and ordered breakfast, and there a woman, moved with the sight of my condition, gave me a shilling, saying that her husband was in the army. The same day, at Norman Cross Barracks, the place where the French prisoners were confined, the driver of a provision wagon, which was coming out of the barrack yard as I passed, allowed me to ride to Peterborough with him, not charging me anything. This was the first day of my journey in which I had not a fit of the ague. On this and the succeeding days, I passed through Spalding and Swineshead, partly on foot and partly by wagon, not without meeting with many difficulties on the road. From Swineshead, the next morning I started for Langret Ferry and arrived there after a severe march of six miles on a road so exceedingly bad that I stuck fast in the clay and mire several times. Being very weak, it was with the greatest difficulty I weathered through. Finding good quarters at the inn there and being very tired, I thought I could not do better than remain during the night at so hospitable a house. All the company took notice of me and offered me drink. One person asked me whether I had not a brother called William Green, and being answered in the affirmative, I know him very well, said he, and for his sake will see that you do not want for anything during your stay in this place. Indeed was such the kindness of the company that some of them got to fighting on my account. For having quitted my seat for a moment, a person took possession of it during my absence, and another of the company quarrelled with the intruder, and fought him for imposing upon a poor and sick soldier. The landlord would not even draw any more ale for the man, because he conceived I had been ill-used by him. I got a good supper, slept in a good bed, and partook of a good breakfast, after which I started for Horncastle the landlord putting me into the best road. He would not take anything for my supper bed or breakfast, but sent me off, wishing me well home to my friends. I travelled slowly along the bank of the Witham and arrived at Dogdyke about noon. The hostess was so kind that she gave me my dinner. The company in this place also were kind unto me. An old man, who was full of his quirks and catches, said he would keep me a fortnight upon roast beef and ale if I would go with him. I gave the old gentleman such answers to his questions as highly delighted the company, so that they would have given me anything whilst I remained amongst them. Leaving this place, I proceeded to Coningsby and Horncastle, and in visits amongst friends at those two towns, spent twelve days more, and then, with high expectations, went forward to Louth. As soon as I reached the top of Corkwell Hill, and got a glance of the lofty spire of Louth Church. My feelings were such that I cannot describe them, and surely none but those who have been in like circumstances can imagine how delighted I was once more to see what I may consider 
my native place. My heart beat, my feelings ran high, and it was with difficulty I contained myself. I thought of this and the other acquaintance, but mostly of my grandmother, Widow Cuthbert, and my aunt, Anne Green. These were my principal friends to whom I looked for help and assistance. Indeed, I could rely with confidence on both these sources for every assistance I wanted in this time of need and necessity. Oh, with what transports of joy did I think of my friends and relations? I thought to see them and to enjoy their society would make me completely happy. It will not be wondered that I should have had these acute feelings when we take into account my age, being only 19, and being so afflicted and broken down by the flushing sickness. At length, I arrived at the end of the town, and was so eager to see my friends, that I knew not whom to visit first. But my affection led me to the quarry. The moment I entered the house, my grandmother made me heartily welcome, and I really felt that I was at home. She soon got me some refreshment. After I had partaken of it, I went down, ill as I was, into the town and visited all my relations and then returned to the quarry and perhaps for the first time knew the delightful pleasures of home. I retired to rest and slept soundly, not having the dreadful roar of the cannon of Flushing to disturb me nor the moans of the dying soldiers in the hospitals to harrow up my feelings. No, all was peace. I had no father or mother or my feelings might have been different. But, as it was, I had so much rejoicing in my mind over my relatives as though they had been nearer to me, and I shall forever have to acknowledge their goodness and kindness to me, who had merited nothing from them but their displeasure. Even my old master Foggett did not slight me, but behaved very kindly, as did several of my old shopmates. As the expiration of my furlough approached, although I had obtained an addition to it of 31 days, in consequence of another severe attack of the ague, yet so much were my feelings alienated from warlike adventures, partly by the sweets of home, now dearer to me than ever, and more than all by my reflections on the scenes of the flushing expedition and the sufferings I had undergone in the hospital, which were now constantly rushing on my mind, that I dreaded the time of my departure again. At length the last day came, and I almost repented having come home at all. Various were the unhappy feelings which passed in my mind through the day, but more so during the night. The morning came, I arose with unpleasant sensations, and repaired to the town to take leave of my friends, thinking I should never see them again. Both my grandmother and my aunt, being above eighty years of age, oh, with what reluctance did I leave my friends, and the delightful town of Louth, I looked behind me several times and said in my mind, I shall never visit it again. Chapter 6 I arrived at Horncastle about two o'clock. My friends there would have me remain a few days with them, for which purpose my leave of absence was prolonged eight days more, at the expiration of which I left Horncastle, called at Coningsby, and then proceeded to Boston to pay a visit to my brother. After spending a few happy days with him, I left Boston in order to join my regiment, then laying at Brabourne Lee's barracks. The first day, I reached Deeping, the second Stilton, and on the fourth, London. I passed through and took up my quarters at New Cross. 
Next morning, I started for Maidstone, but was taken ill of the ague at a village on the road, and was obliged to go to bed, being so exceedingly ill that I was alarmed lest my old complaint should return. But the next morning, I was able to march, and passing through Maidstone, took up my quarters at Lenham, and on the following day, arrived at Ashford, which is only five miles from Brabourne Lees, and the next morning, after purchasing several necessaries, joined my regiment. I left the army at Tavir, in the island of Walcheron, at the period when the fever was most fatal. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com code buttery exclusions apply see site for details the 68th regiment was completely altered nearly 400 having died of the disease besides what were killed and wounded at the siege and bombardment of flushing and at this time several of the men were in the hospital very ill of the ague and many deaths occurred notwithstanding the mortality which had taken place I found several of my old comrades who were ready to join my company, and I was really glad to see those again who had been my companions in the fatigues of war. The regiment remained at Brabourne Lees until the month of March, when we were ordered to Hythe, distant only seven miles. The barracks stand on a very high hill, whence we had a view into France, which could be seen very well in clear weather. The troops lying at this place were as follows. The 68th, 2nd Battalion of the 95th Rifle Corps, the Devonshire Militia and the Royal Staff Corps, whose barracks were like a palace. The brigade was under the command of a general who was uncommonly strict. On one occasion, he confined the whole of the three regiments to their barracks, ordering a picket of 21 men from each regiment to patrol the streets and neighbourhood of Hythe every hour and to take up every soldier who dared to leave the barracks or disobey the general's orders. About this time, we had a grand field day on the heights near Sandgate. The troops present were the 68th, 95th, the Devonshire Militia, a regiment which lay in the Cliff Barracks, and the 85th, which had marched from Brabourne Lees 10 miles in heavy marching order, hundreds of them, 
probably not having broken their fast. We then fought a sham engagement and manoeuvred for several hours, after which we marched to our respective barracks. The 85th Regiment must have suffered greatly during the excessive fatigues of the day. Our regiment had no knapsacks and had only three miles to march home, yet we were nearly exhausted. What then must have been their condition, who had marched 20 miles and gone through the manoeuvres of a field day, many of them fasting until evening. Whilst we laid at Hythe, our bugle major died of the Wulcheran sickness, and over him was held what is called an Irish wake. To me, it appeared so ridiculous that I know not how to reconcile it to reason and religion. I belonged to the same company as the deceased and lived in the same room. He was a married man and died in his barrack room, a thing not common in the regular army, but he and his wife, being favourites, were allowed the privilege of remaining in the barrack room during his illness. The wake lasted two nights, on which occasion we had much smoking and drinking, Different Irish games were played and tales were told, and thus the nights were spent. There was no restraint whatsoever, so that the wake resembled a wedding rather than anything else. The bugle major was a very promising young man and was respected by all who knew him. His wife's father was a native of born in this county and had been in the 68th above 30 years. About the 9th of April, an express arrived with orders for the regiment to be in readiness to march at a moment's notice to London to quell the disturbance occasioned by the committal of Sir Francis Burdett to the Tower. Every man received flints and ammunition was in readiness to be served out. We were kept in suspense three days, not daring to leave the barracks for more than 20 minutes together. Several regiments near London were put in motion but we being 68 miles from the metropolis, never left our barracks. Nothing of importance happened to the regiment for a considerable time. A circumstance, however, transpired, which I must not omit to relate. One of the captains kept a mistress, who, for some error in her conduct, was turned off. The result was most painful, for the poor creature put an end to her existence by taking poison. She was not more than 20 years of age, and most probably had been seduced from a friend's in London. The jury brought in a verdict of lunacy, and she was buried in Hythe Churchyard, pitied by all who knew her. Thus perished this beautiful young female in the bloom of her life. About this period, government gave orders that a school should be established in each regiment for the laudable purpose of teaching the young men and soldiers' children to read and write, allowing £10 a year to the master. Into this school I entered, and in a little time was reckoned the first scholar in it. The colonel allowed us the whole of each afternoon to improve in reading, writing and so forth. I took great delight in this employment, and I only regret that the school did not commence sooner. I am, however, greatly indebted to this valuable measure of our then excellent Commander-in-Chief, His Late Royal Highness the Duke of York. In September, Major Thompson parted with his servant in consequence of a disagreement. My steady conduct and attention to the school induced the Major to select me to be his successor. I apologised, saying, I have never been a servant, nor am I at all acquainted with the duty you will require from me. 
Never mind that, said he. I like you. The better for it, I will teach you myself. I accordingly went with him. He then gave me the keys, and I waited upon him and his partner at dinner. I have stated before that the major had lost one arm, so I had to be in constant attendance, for he could neither dress nor undress without assistance. Whilst with him, I had the greatest plenty of everything, and was never more happy or contented in my life. The major was a man of honour and principle, and delighted to see me comfortable, for which reason he gave me a beautiful suit of clothes, a great coat worth five pounds, with several other necessaries, and liberty to read the books of the circulating library. Even when he was on leave of absence, I had the same privilege allowed to me. About the 26th of November, 1810, it began to be reported that we were soon to embark for Spain, and in December, we received a route for that purpose. The first day, we marched to Rye, our baggage and men being conveyed part of the way in boats on the new Royal Canal. I was quartered at the Head Inn, but my master went forward to the next stage. The second day, we arrived at Battle. After marching through rain and storm nearly all the day, the poor women and children on the baggage wagons being almost lost. The third day, we reached Hallisham, the fourth, Lewes, and on the fifth, Littlehampton. Three companies were sent to Arundel, two to Bognor, and five remained at Littlehampton, the headquarters of the regiment. Colonel Johnson, being on leave of absence, the command devolved upon my master. I suppose it was intended that we should have gone forward to Portsmouth and embarked, but some delay took place, so that we halted in this beautiful part of the county of Sussex. Littlehampton is a seaport and watering place containing several good buildings and excellent accommodations for sea bathers. The barracks were very comfortable and would contain about 400 men. Here we spent the Christmas of 1810. About this time, a very serious affray took place between the inhabitants of Arundel and a few men belonging to the detachment of our regiment stationed there. Several young men were in the constant habit of insulting the officers as they passed along the streets, being determined to resent these repeated insults. The officers took along with them, on a night agreed upon, a sergeant and several privates, and dashing into the town, commenced hostilities. The officers and men, being armed with heavy sticks, laid on all they met, so that in a few minutes all was dismay and confusion. At length, the volunteers being called out, and furnished with ammunition, commenced a brisk fire upon the assailants and drove them to their quarters, after which the captain of the volunteers left a strong picket to watch and guard the town. All the soldiers in the barracks were entirely ignorant of what had taken place, except the parties concerned in the outrage. In the morning, the police officers were sent to the barracks to discover the offenders. The commanding officer gave them all the assistance in his power, and the result was that a captain, two lieutenants and a sergeant were taken and lodged in Horsham Jail. After a few days, however, the officers were admitted to bail, but the sergeant remained in confinement. In the month of February 1811, having received a route for Lewes, we marched by the way of Shoreham and Brighton, and arriving at Lewes, were quartered in the barracks at the west end of the town, about this time, liberty being given to the militia 
to volunteer into the regular army, we made several attempts to get our regiment filled up by sending officers to the different militia regiments to recruit for us. My master went to Portsmouth, but met with little or no success, for as the militia there had some idea that we were on the eve of going to Spain and Portugal, the major returned without a single volunteer. One day, we had a particular parade, with the locks of our muskets in our hands. All the officers' servants were ordered to attend, my lock not being over clean, the major, to show his impartiality, ordered me three days drill. But the next day, being Saturday, I took care to whiten the windows a little before drill time. When the bugle sounded, I left them as they were and ran for my musket. The major met me as I was coming out of the kitchen and ordered me back, so that by these means I got clear of the thing I so much detested. The regiment had now completely recovered from the shock which it received in the island of Walcheron. Every week, recruits joined us from the north of England and different parts of Scotland and Ireland, also drafts from several militia regiments, so that we were now about 850 strong, most of us from 18 to 30 years of age. By this time, the regiment had attained to a high state of discipline and military order, and all our arms and accoutrements were in excellent condition. Colonel Johnson was also very strict in the inspection of our necessaries, especially our shoes, shirts, brushes, and so forth. Every man had, or should have had, two spare shirts, two pair of good shoes, two pair of stockings or socks, three brushes, one razor and soapbox, one screwdriver and worm, two pairs of gaiters, one greatcoat, with several other smaller things. In short, every preparation was made in order to be ready whenever the government called for our service, which call was expected every day. At length, the general commanding the district came to review us, after which he made his report to the war office that we were fit for actual service, and in a few days we expected the route. In this, we were not disappointed, for on Sunday the 2nd of June, 1811, the route arrived for our March 2, and embarkation at Portsmouth with as little delay as possible. My master, having lost his right arm at Flushing, was appointed to command the regimental depot, and I expected to remain with him. Indeed, he told me he would keep me if possible, so that I confidently expected to stay in England, but the Major failed in his endeavours to retain me. Being young and healthy and fit for service, the Colonel insisted that I should go to Spain and Portugal, so that no arguments produced by the Major in my favour could turn the Colonel from his purpose, and I was ultimately compelled to go with the regiment. In the evening, my master told me what had passed between himself and the Colonel. But, said he, if you return to England, I will have you again. On the third, Mr. Risdale, the surgeon, and Lieutenant Mackay were invited to our house to take a parting glass with the Major, who gave me an excellent character to his gentleman, saying he had never been better suited in his life. He also gave orders to these officers that if I should be in need of money whilst in the peninsula, they were to let me have it and place it to his account. When I went into the Major's room, Now, Green, said he, if there is anything in my house which you need, you may have it with my pleasure. He urged me to take a shirt or two. I refused, saying... I was obliged to him for his goodness, 
He then gave me 20 shillings to buy tea, sugar, or anything else that I might want for the voyage. Again, promising, should I return, he would be my friend. After finishing my work and bidding my mistress farewell, I left the room with a heart as full as possible and retired into the kitchen in the greatest sorrow of mind. The major followed me and taking me by the hand in a most affectionate manner, consoled me. We then parted, and so completely was I overcome by the major's kindness, that I was bathed in tears. He was himself much affected, having something to do to keep down his feelings. Indeed, the kindness of Major Thompson was very great, and I shall ever remember him with grateful respect. I retired to rest with these uncomfortable feelings, but was aroused at half past three o'clock, by the sound of the bugle. I arose immediately, and, after adjusting my knapsack, joined my company, when the regiment moved off towards Brighton. If you've enjoyed this podcast, and want to support it, then why not send us a PayPal donation? All donations help us pay to host the podcast, and for us to create new content for your enjoyment. Furthermore, if you would like to submit a question, or even a subject matter for the podcast, Join Patreon and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. The links are in our bio. Until next time, keep history alive. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.